Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Hybrid Geek Podcast, episode number 95 with Sasha Chada, uh, who is the founder and CEO of Ivy Scholars. They do work uh, supporting in a very deep uh, and kind of longitudinal way, uh, supporting prospective students who are looking to uh, be competitive candidates for their colleges of choice. So uh, really interesting stuff. Uh, definitely a new uh, world for me. Uh, I was really excited to hear more about Sasha's story and uh, the work that he's doing uh, with his team there. So uh, I shared out a lot of great resources uh, that they've curated, as well as a couple of good uh, uh, books that he is reading uh, in relation to this work. So definitely go check out uh, Ivy Scholars, uh, all the work that they're doing, and all the resources that we shared down in the show notes. Uh, and a brief mention here, because uh, I know I've been posting uh, episodes weekly with a lot of bonus episodes over the past several weeks. Uh, we'll be letting you know for the uh, latter half of this year, I guess not really half, but uh, the remainder of this year, uh, we will be going back to every other week uh, episodes just to slow down a bit. Uh, we had a lot of great people reaching out, uh, and I wanted to make sure we were able to get them in as soon as possible, but um, should be able to you know, maybe only have the occasional bonus episode versus it being pretty much every single week for the past couple of months. So certainly appreciate, uh, as always, any ideas for guest topics, any of that good stuff. So feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, or LinkedIn, anywhere else. But so with all that being said, and after this brief message from our sponsor, this is episode number 95 with Sasha Chata. This episode is sponsored by Degree.me, a one-stop college research tool for students. If you work for a college or university, you'll want to learn all about their ability to connect you with the right students at a budget-friendly price. To find out more, please visit Degree.me slash H-E-G. Cool. Well, uh, thank you so much for uh, jumping on to hang out for the podcast here. Uh, it's uh, going to be, I think, a very informative episode for uh, myself, you know, the work that you're doing. And I know uh, other folks will uh, it'd be great to kind of turn them on to the work that you're doing as well. So um, if you want to just uh, kind of kick us off, as we always do, introduce yourself and give everybody kind of a brief overview of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today. Sure. Hi, guys. My name is Sasha Chata. I run Ivy Scholars. Um I was the last person I would pick to be CEO of an education company when I was graduating high school. Um, I, I always loved teaching. I, I volunteered as a teacher and a tutor and, uh, and to help with test prep when I was in high school. And when I got to Hopkins, I started volunteering and then working in the development office, which uh, is related to fundraising. And that put me in really close proximity to admissions. And at the same time, I was going to college uh, for pre-med. And then I was also majoring in philosophy because pre-med's not a major at Hopkins. So I was uh, doing my med school apps and I realized just how much I loved writing these essays and I was helping my friends and they were so, sort of tearing their hair out, trying to figure out how they would be different from the you know 100 other pre-meds at Hopkins, each of whom were all very competitive and very smart and worked really hard and had a lot of experience. And it was that that kind of differentiation, just making our personalities come through, um, that really appealed to me. I, I loved for a second feeling like we were in control of our narrative, that we were telling a story not just about um, what we thought med school admissions committees wanted to hear, but really of who we are and the kind of change we saw we could make in the world as, as pre-meds and as med students. But I didn't want to go to med school. I was realizing I didn't love biology enough to study it for another six years. And hmm. I wasn't enamored with medicine. So I went back home after I graduated to figure things out. Um, and my brother was four and a half years younger than me. And he was just starting the college admissions process. 
so as an older brother, there's a lot of things I, I hope to make a lot easier for my younger brother to give him the, the hard one wisdom I got, um, because I certainly um, <laughs> submitted my essays with uh, like three days left on the clock, almost to the mm. end of December, which was not something you should do ever. Um, and I wanted it to be better for him. Uh, and I'd put together so much admissions knowledge from Hopkins, and I began to see how opaque this process was how much anxiety there was around it, that you were a 17-year-old trying to choose what you do for the rest of your life, or that's what it felt like at the time, and prove yourself to you know what felt like these shadowy admissions officers that you would be a good fit for their school, whatever that meant. Um, and what exaggerated that was that we, as a family, um, we were all really nervous about this process. My family put a really big emphasis on education. It's what let my dad come to this country. He immigrated here from Ireland. And it was for my mom, um, a big point for her to prove herself because she grew up in an era where women generally didn't get higher education degrees. Mm -hmm. Um, so both of them went through a radically different experience than me and my brother did. And I started realizing as I was coaching my brother, well, my mom went to UCLA when the admit rate was just under 70%. So most of the people who applied would get in unless there was something like a big issue, you'd fail, failed a couple classes. The admit rate when my brother was applying to UCLA was 13%. This was about yeah. five times harder. Um, my dad didn't go to school in this country at all. Um, and we didn't have that sort of blueprint a lot of families had for the process. And the game had changed so much from, from when my mom went to school. I started putting together um, a sort of end-to-end -end explanation on how you become a really great college applicant and how you present yourself in a way that's authentic but also competitive and avoid falling into a lot of the pitfalls that I've seen way too many of my friends and my colleagues fall into. Um, and doing this just spread um, – my brother's friends' parents started calling me some, some at like 10, 11 p.m., being like, I really need to talk to you. You know, we really want to figure this out. I, I just saw there was so much passion around helping kids get a great education and present themselves in the college admissions process, but there was so little knowledge on how to actually do that. Yeah. And in the process, I found what would eventually become Ivy Scholars. Yeah, I mean, I guess like, you know, it's, it's very interesting to me, yeah, because it, it is one of those things where... I would assume people working in higher ed, especially, I mean, if you're not at admissions and generally like you're kind of acknowledging people who are, it's like, oh, well, I mean, you applied to college, you know, maybe several years ago or decades ago or something and know how much it's changed. But then also like that, I think it can be uh, very opaque, like you said, and you're kind of just navigating it on your own to try to discern, you know, maybe what's relevant to be included in anything or not, or how to just sort of frame things. And, you know, certainly a lot of value of just like, you know, uh, more of a near peer experience versus, yeah, maybe somebody who, you know, went through a process a longer time ago or something like that, just crystallizing at least just how important it was to, if nothing else, just have someone who is a kind of an advocate or just someone who uh, is, committed to, like you said, just really uh, highlighting your strengths and kind of uh, helping you explain your narrative and those sort of things. Uh, but I think, you know, it is somewhat of a game, I guess, if it is sort of just like acknowledging like, well, these are the things that are really going to help you to stand out so that somebody does kind of maybe look deeper into, you know, uh, any other unique parts of your background. But I guess, yeah, before I start kind of like, you know, getting ahead of myself, if you want to just sort of, you know, get into kind of the details of like what Ivy Scholars itself does, because that, you know, uh, it kind of gave us the journey up until that point. So yeah, just explain a little bit more about the work you do now. And I guess maybe like 
because I guess I'm curious, like how early it could start for somebody and sort of just maybe what a, what a typical kind of, you know, journey or workflow would be for somebody who, um, you know, sort of getting, getting help with their application and everything. Ivy Scholars is a candidacy building company. Uh, and that means we help students who come to us become the kind of candidates their target colleges want to accept. And I'm really careful to describe Ivy Scholars like that and not as a company that helps you with test prep or your college essays, because I want that mentorship and guidance to be front and center of what we do. I think trying to just sell a service um, without selling the idea that you're going to walk people through this process and teach them what they don't know and help them find what's best for them is missing the point. So Ivy Scholars starts with students as early as seventh grade. Um, and when we do, we're meeting with them a few times a year and we're helping them understand what's available in terms of extracurriculars and what interests they have and how they can pursue them. And then also starting to talk about work habits, how they do time management, how they plan out studying so that as they go through their academic journey, they feel a little more in control of what they're doing and they feel like they, the students, are making choices on what's best for them. And I love helping students form that attitude really early, that they're in control of the process and they are making choices and they're not sort of responding to their parents uh, or, or other adults' pressure on what other people think is right for them. Mm -hmm. Building that sense of agency, even if you're only spending four hours a year meeting with a student once a quarter, uh, returns amazing dividends later on. So when students get to ninth grade, we enroll them in the candidacy building program and we meet with them generally about once every two weeks. And we start working through extracurriculars uh, that they're performing in and, and asking, you know, where can we find a passion that you want to develop? Where can we find some skill, some topic you want to be involved in? Often it's a community problem they want to do something about just to make the world around them a little better. Uh, and these turn into profile projects that end up making students um, five times as admissible as some of their peers. Um, but the, the magic of this is um, that even though these things sound extraordinary, we've had students who um, have, have programmed apps that are used by nonprofits that help coordinate, um, coordinate the services of those nonprofits, or they've created groups that have done a lot to clean up their neighborhood or make their local community better in these really profound ways, but it never feels like a Herculean task. It just feels step by step, week by week. Uh, mm. We find that ninth and 10th graders are capable of some awesome stuff that doesn't take um, earth-shattering genius. It just takes persistence and focus and determination and the willingness to start doing things that are scary and troubleshoot and find where you're going wrong and work with a mentor who you can really trust, who you can be open with about what's not working for you, um, to evaluate your goals and make incremental progress. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating. I mean, and I mean, just the way that you frame it is, uh, yeah, just really resonant. I mean, because um, I think maybe some of the organizations yeah it's just maybe i don't know like some of those other things you mentioned that just would come across as more like transactional like we help you with the test you take the test you get the score and then you're sort of like you know on your way or different things like that but yeah just a very longitudinal uh kind of uh, mentoring and coaching and that sort of thing so yeah that people um you know these students are making the most of their time uh, as early as possible you know as early as they're ready to uh start thinking ahead like that so um I guess, yeah. I mean, if there's any sort of like anecdotes or examples uh, of work that you've done, you know, anything that really kind of is uh, compelling or like helps motivate you, you know, uh, just examples of like what you kind of enjoy most about uh, the work that you're doing, like the way that you're able to work with these students. Well, I'll say I'll say two things. The first, I just wanted to respond. You're right. The longitudinal approach is really great. 
Um, it's something I love and I find it's, it's much more effective than people give it credit for. I'll often, students will come to IV scholars from companies that are more transactional and they'll say, well, we did test prep for a while, but our scores didn't really go up. Or, you know, we've sort of worked on college essays, but I feel like it's just, we, we're looking at it. We know it's not good. I don't feel good about this. Um, and, and I take that as our chance to get to do something awesome with them and really help them in a way that they weren't even sure they could be helped. And the uptick in morale you see there when you're really listening to a student is fantastic. I want to give you one of my favorite examples. It was a student I worked with um, three years ago. So we were talking about programming and he really wanted to go in computer science. He also had some interest in business. We were sort of going through a curriculum where he was learning different programming languages and exploring what he could do. And he did some proof of concept stuff, but we just weren't finding a project he was really passionate about, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and that was hard because he was putting a lot of pressure on himself. He wanted to go to a great institution. His parents had worked very hard to get him a lot of opportunities. And he, he was a really great guy and really wanted to live up to that. But we had spent you know, a month or two working on things. We made progress, but we, it wasn't yet clicking. Then Hurricane Harvey happened. So uh, he and his parents were in an apartment building and they were watching the news and he was seeing the water rise. And he came and called me and we were on the phone and he said, I think I could do something here. I think I can create what ended up being a Facebook API just to coordinate people who owned private watercraft uh, with people who were on their roofs flooded out. Uh, we're, we're located in Houston, and in Houston, Hurricane Harvey was, was disastrous, and it destroyed a lot of people's homes, and it was tremendously scary. And this 16-year-old young man, um, in the space of 28 hours of almost nonstop coding, uh, put all this together, and then he had to call his internet service provider, and he had to talk them through changing servers on their end to make make things fit technically. Um, and we were on the phone for part of that. I was just thinking, man, this kid is a hero, and he's he wasn't doing anything that's impossible, anything a normal human being couldn't do. He just learned a lot of programming, and he was constantly searching for ways to apply his skills. And when he saw the opportunity, he took it. Mm -hmm. So in the end, about 100 people used that and they got rescued. And I'm not sure I've ever been more proud of one of my students. Yeah, We wrote that incredible. in his college applications. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, he's, he's an incredible guy. I, I feel so fortunate to work here. I've met so many students who I think are amazing. And I'm sure I'm going to read their names in the news someday. Um, <laughs> he's at Vanderbilt now. And he's, uh, he's doing some other really awesome stuff. And I love getting to keep up with my students because it's never boring when you know we're calling back six months later and we're saying hi, how are you? It's always uh, Sasha. Like, let me tell you what I'm doing. And there's this vivacity, this passion, um, and getting to be a part of that is such a blessing and a gift for me. That's so great. Yeah, I mean, just a, a great example too. I mean, because um, I think even like you said, I guess like even engaging in just sort of a minimal way, like you're maybe like you know an hour per quarter or something, especially earlier on, but like it just gets someone thinking. And then if they're thinking in that sort of critical lens of like, what can I do, you know, uh, sort of this community problem and that thing. And they're kind of, they're looking for the, they're looking for an opportunity to help their community, you know? So like, that's just so fascinating. Um, Cause even then, I mean, it was definitely kind of a more of a micro example, but obviously it mattered so much to those people that it helped. Um, so I guess with all of that, you know, like that being like a really powerful example of the kind of work that you're doing with students, do you feel like there's anything just about this very unique 
you know, moment that the world is in right now, um, you know, when you're working with students, do you feel like there's something uh, unique that makes your work especially relevant right now? Or just maybe just kind of speaking generally to maybe how, you know, the kind of global pandemic and different things has impacted your work, if you if you uh, have noticed any of those changes? Working with students by Zoom doesn't build the same degree of interpersonal connection without extra effort from both parties. And what I'm seeing from the students of Ivy Scholars, and I think a lot of students now who are realizing distance learning is my future and this pandemic isn't going away, is a kind of commitment to saying, this isn't the education I wanted, but it's the education that's going to happen and I want to make the most of it. And the attitude we have at Ivy Scholars that there is a tremendous amount to make the most of. There's a huge amount of potential for high school students. Um, There are so many problems that need to be solved, so many organizations that students can work with, so much growth to be had for people who are organized and diligent about it. Um, I like that I see so many people rising to the occasion in really tumultuous, really scary times to embody that attitude and pursue projects that I think will help them grow as human beings and learn and also make them far more admissible when they apply to college in a year or two. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because there's also like, um, and I guess just briefly, I I wonder how you see maybe this factoring in as like, if, you know, the interpersonal, the, you know, kind of on ground experience is what a certain student is looking for, you know, sometimes like navigating that kind of the gap year space, you know, trying to make the most of that year. If you maybe, you know, take that time, take a break to make yourself into even more of a competitive candidate or know even better the right institution, the right program or any of those sort of things. So do you see those sort of things coming up as well that some people might be like, well, you know what, I'm willing to wait to know better because I don't know yet maybe what my like kind of, you know, community problem would be as sort of this guiding light for, um, you know, uh, essays and just trying to find like the right program and those sort of things. Do you see that coming, coming up at all in terms of like how you're working with students, like gap years kind of factoring in? Yeah. A lot of students are uncertain as to the best way to, to conduct their education. Um, the biggest piece of uncertainty is no one knows how long the pandemic will last. And mm. when you're 18, Um, and you're not going to college, and you're not leaving the house, especially your parents' house, uh, a major question arises of what it is you're going to do with your time. I've had a lot of families say to me, well, I I don't want to pay sticker price for a year of tuition at a university that has no dorms, no student culture, no experience, no extracurriculars. That's just Zoom classes. Um, I think it's it's an incredible amount to ask of of young people, of 18-year-olds who are just going off to college to say, well, you've still got these resources of the university. You've got dedicated faculty and staff, and you've got a student body, and you can do something with that, but you've got to envision all of it yourself. Ivy Scholars stepping in and helping students with, with gap year plans, whether they're trying to make the most out of their university experience or they want to pursue something like a six-month internship, Uh, has been really challenging for us. It's certainly something I didn't have a playbook for. And for every student, I really try to get to know them and find what's going to be right for them. I do think, though, that the same philosophy I was talking about holds true here. And that initiative and the determination to find something, even if you haven't found your thing yet, just the determination to build skills so when you do find your thing, you're ready for it, um, is the best attitude a student can take for themselves to get them through what's undoubtedly going to be a crazy school year. Yeah. I mean, just the, uh, yeah, the ambiguity, the uncertainty is just a, a powerful force that could make, um, planning your future for anybody very, very difficult. So, um, 
Well, I kind of I usually ask this earlier, but uh, you know, I still want to see kind of where uh, where it kind of lands for you. But you know, you've spoken a lot about the work that you're doing right now with Ivy Scholars, and um, you know, obviously, just kind of your origin story, as it were. Um, but I guess just like to put a finer point on it. Do you feel like there's anything in particular, since you did kind of make a pivot in terms of your own, you know, your major in college and some of the things you were doing, but I mean, you know, majored in philosophy and, you know, I would say probably had to take a lot of courses in that subject area. Do you feel like there are just sort of like values or mentors or like your network or something, anything that was like really impactful from your own college experience that still resonates for you today? Well, I had great peers at Hopkins. I really enjoyed the people I went to class with, who I got to work with. It was just a privilege uh, having a group of people who are all really enthusiastic about learning and worked well as a team. Um, I didn't see at the time how much work went in from the admissions office towards building a student body that wasn't just full of smart students, but smart students who'd work well together and who would form a great team. I'd say what's most inspiring to me about that was... Um, I saw students who took a step beyond hard work and really confronted their priorities for what they wanted out of their high school and college experience and tried to take a, a driver's seat to their life, which is something that's very difficult to do at a young age. And these weren't people who uniformly were right. I, I was not alone, certainly, in changing my mind and having to totally pivot careers. I think that's an incredibly normal thing. So what I try to take from that to communicate to high school students is that it doesn't really matter if you have a great plan for what you're going to do in college, you know what you want to do with the rest of your life. That's probably going to change anyway. What really does matter is you find things that are important to you now, places you want to make a difference, things you want to learn. You stop sort of restraining your passion in the service of a grander plan or a bigger picture. And you say, I want to do something great. I'm going to try it. If it fails, I'll learn something from it. If it succeeds, maybe I will or maybe I won't stick with it, but I'm not slowing down for anything. Yeah, such a great message. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that that is a very important one because I think people uh, feel compelled to have that kind of you know broader uh, 5, 10, 15 year plan, like everything's charted out and you know, you're just kind of riding along the rails, but um, far better, I think, to definitely have... Uh, a little bit more flexibility, kind of, uh, you know, kind of transferable skills in that way. But um, so, yeah, I mean, just this can be kind of more of a, a fun question, I guess, just kind of on a personal level or, you know, and or a professional level, whatever uh, kind of resonates. But, you know, what are you geeking out about right now? Like what's grabbing your attention, um, whether it's, you know, it is something related to work or not. But yeah, just going to take that as you will. What are you geeking out about right now? Well, two things. Um, I'm having a lot of fun. Um my friends and I have started a weekly Discord improv group. So uh, <laughs> learning about that and practicing for that has been has been really cool. It's certainly not something I would have pursued if I could ever if I could have left the house. But with social distancing limiting a lot of socialization options, I found it to be to be really cool. On a professional level, um, this has been a chance for me to do a lot more research and dig into. Um, a lot of the admissions disclosures that have come out over the past decade, uh, most notably from the Harvard lawsuit about uh, Asian Americans and admit rates, um, but, but also from a lot of other former admissions officers who spoke about how their university admissions office worked. One of the great insights I've had that I've, I've done my best to incorporate into Ivy Scholars is 
that there are so many students who are in uh, what get called traditional career tracks. So very often something like pre-med, pre-business, pre-law, computer science, things that have very strong vocational potential. And these fields are becoming so overloaded that the admit rate for these majors can be a third or even a quarter of the admit rate in general for a school. So it could be three to four times as competitive to land in one of these majors as in a university in general. And to me, that's a little crazy um, that there's there's students who have picked a course of study, not a career, but just a course of study to start with, and then their chances of going to the university they want with that major is drastically reduced. Mm-hmm. One of my big developments this last year is trying to help students who want one of these oversubscribed majors to find ways to present themselves that still include and are true to those interests, but don't focus on them exclusively. Um, and to help students tell more interesting stories. Um, there's always a few students who come to us every year who, who have a story, something like, uh, my parents worked hard and they've given me a lot of opportunities and I want to continue that. And I want to go to Wall Street and be an investment banker and make good money. And that's sort of the extent of my story and ambitions. And I think maybe dreaming past that isn't too realistic. Um, And uniformly at Ivy Scholars, it's my job to help these students find something that's more cool, persuasive, interesting, that's more personal to them than just ambition. Um, Having all this time as a result of the pandemic and sort of leafing through, I look through students' old essays, I meet with new students, and I listen to their story. Um, I'm really enjoying putting together uh, our playbook for how we take students who have ambitions that I think would would get prima facie rejected a lot of the time because they are they are stories that are too common that aren't differentiated enough and helping our students who who want to apply to these oversubscribed programs find unique and cool ways to present themselves. Very interesting, because um, yeah, I, I I probably wouldn't have guessed that. I mean, I would, I would always assume that a lot of students pursue those, but not that they're so overloaded that they um, yeah that make them kind of selective because so many people I guess are interested, but. Um, yeah, and then uh, yeah, I guess uh, Discord improv it uh, does sound very uh, uh, very unique. Uh, I'm, I, don't know, I guess I'm not even sure how that would work, but I mean, yeah, we're all we're all getting very creative right now um, in the uh, pandemic just to try to have some sense of normalcy or entertainment uh, amidst everything else. So the pandemic is a, a kind of microcosm, right? It forces us because we don't. There's so many options we don't have. It forces us to confront. It's not as if we're shut off from the world. We've got the internet. We've got the ability to connect with people. How do we want to use our time? And I think that's a really interesting question for everyone, but especially for teenagers who now have this kind of unprecedented freedom, given that they can't go to school and can't follow this regular schedule kids that age normally do. Um, Exploring what else we put in in place of that, to me, is really cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a, a very relevant perspective, I think. Um, of because uh, I think, yeah, I mean, uh, with that kind of uh, framing in mind, it's certainly not putting the pressure on anybody to just like you know you got to be productive every single second of every single day. It's like, well, no, I mean, just be thoughtful about how you are allotting your time and your energy, and it should be a pretty good harmonious balance where you feel kind of ready and energized to confront every day. But, you know, that kind of implicit in that is like taking care of yourself, you know, having some fun and all that. Um, but yeah, it's kind of an interesting uh, reset, I think, probably for some people um, of how they're uh, how they were spending their time and how are they able to do it now and how do they kind of triage, you know, like how, how they're uh, willing to uh, commit their days. But 
Well, kind of on that note, I guess just generally, you know, things grabbing your attention, anything that you are reading, watching, and or listening to that you'd want to uh, recommend so we could uh, link out to it down in the show notes? Sure. Uh, Michael Sugru is a philosopher that has this really great lecture series I love. Personally, it's been uh, my buddy as I've been running in the mornings in Houston, and uh, I find it's a great way intellectually to start the day. Um it goes through a lot of, of human history and sort of charts the evolution of a lot of the stuff we take for granted, uh, just a lot of the concepts that underpin our society. On, on a more professional note, uh, there's some books I've been reading that I find to be really helpful when I'm talking to students about admissions and getting into college. Uh, one is If the You Fits by Kevin McMullen. Uh, which is, is just a great primer for, for counseling and finding universities that are right for a student and helping students who, in a world where there's a lot of competition, a lot of pressure to go to the most prestigious school, find the school that they're going to be happiest at. Mm-hmm. And the other is A for Admission by Michelle Hernandez, which is just an inside look into admissions for anyone who's ever wondered, how does this work? How do people make these decisions? It's a great, nice, fairly technical chart of what's going on there. So... Yeah, I mean, I think um, those are good. Yeah, I mean, just generally, if you can kind of get a primer before um, you even get started, perhaps on this journey, it could be uh, good recommendations for uh, any of the folks in your life who are uh, looking to pursue higher education. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll wrap up as we always do. I mean, just, uh, you know, amidst all the stuff that we're kind of talking about, acknowledging the current kind of global context, but, um, you know, anything that you are looking forward to in your job, life, and or the world. So, any of those categories, all of them. Um, always just like to wrap things up on a on an optimistic note. But um, yeah, what are you uh, looking forward to? I'm looking forward to this application season. Uh, I review every single essay at Ivy Scholars, and I kind of like getting to read them all at once and getting that admissions committee feel because it's cool to to see the students from that angle. Um, I'm also looking forward to fall, autumn for a different reason, because in Houston, it is so hot during the summer, so I wouldn't (laughs) want to be outside too much anyway, um, Mm. but it will be lovely once the temperature falls below 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, I think uh, because I'm based in Baltimore, it does get to be quite a bit uh, muggy out, so there's like peak right now uh, of kind of just not being super pleasant outside for any extended period of time, so I definitely agree with you there, but... Um, and yeah, I guess that's fascinating. I mean, yeah, if you have eyes on so many different essays, it could just be, um, yeah, just kind of settling into a different workflow. It's like, all right, let's like, you know, just, uh, bring on all the essays and, uh, good that you, you know, obviously enjoy, uh, enjoy that process. And obviously you're able to give, uh, you know, good relevant feedback and guidance uh, to all those folks. So, um, yeah, that's so great. But, um, yeah, I mean, thank you so much. I mean, just sharing all that you did about your journey and the work that you're doing. It's uh, super unique stuff. And um, I'm so glad that we got to uh, uh, speak a bit about it and, you know, share out ways to connect with you and all that you mentioned uh, down in the show notes uh, as usual. But um, really appreciate your time and uh, just get, kind of digging in here with uh, uh, the really great work that you're doing. Thank you, Dustin. I really appreciate you inviting me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.